Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you are here for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're also thrilled to announce that today we're sponsored by two different wonderful companies. First, we have NetSuite by Oracle. You can schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business at netsuite.com slash martini. And we're also brought to you by stamps.com. Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in three martini, all one word. So we'll talk more about those as we go along. Jim, let's start with our good martini, and it's a follow-up to yesterday's good martini, and I'd be perfectly fine with this being the good martini for day after day after day in the weeks to come, and that's that the uh, the curve seems to be being flattened here. This time, it's with the model of forecasted death. You might remember that when this thing was first uh, being talked about in a serious way and things were being canceled, there were projections as high as 1.7 million people that were going to die in this country. I think it was, what, a week ago maybe that Fauci was talking between 100 and 200,000. Now we're well below that, hopefully, and hopefully getting even lower as time goes on. This is New York Magazine. A Sunday update of a prominent COVID-19 forecasting model suggests that fewer lives will be lost during the first wave of the coronavirus outbreak than previously thought. The University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation now predicts that 81,766 people will die from COVID-19 in the United States through early August. When the model was last updated on April 2nd, it predicted a total of 93,531. And so, Jim, that's still way more than we want to see. We now know that we're north of 10,000 deaths in this country. We don't want to get anywhere close to 81,000, but it's going in the right direction, and hopefully this trend continues. Yeah. Um, when I saw this news breaking yesterday afternoon, um, it was it was not just uh, elation is not right quite the right word, but, but there was a, a great sense of relief or maybe hope. Um, now, I know there are some people who look at this and say, ah, well, you know, if they're adjusting the the projection so much, this just shows that these guys don't know what they're talking about, and they're just making it up, and you know, uh, well, look, we're trying to project something that is very difficult to measure, particularly because so many people could be walking around uh, with the coronavirus in their system and they don't know it. You're, you're using statistical models. You're trying to look at this. But look, tomorrow, if a coronavirus gets into a nursing home, you suddenly are going to have a lot more cases and in likelihood a lot more ICU unit use and you're going to have a lot more deaths than if you just have it in some other group of people. Um, you're constantly trying to account for all of these variables and it's always going, this, this model is probably going to be adjusted and it may, it's almost certainly going to be adjusted further. That having been said, also uh, the further you go, hopefully the more accurate you get, you get more data, you get more information, you get to see how the place, how it's spreading in state to state. And maybe you have a better sense of what is the, the end game, so to speak, is going to look like. Some of these numbers were just flabbergasting in terms of the good news. Like, look, anytime you say the number of deaths are projected to going from 93,000 to 81,000, that's really good news. If they say, you know, we were, my goodness, we're going to be 87,000 fewer hospital beds than we need. And then they say, okay, now we're going to have 36,000 fewer hospital beds than we need. That's still bad. <laughs> no, no two ways about that. But all of a sudden, you've got something that, like, all right, now you got to figure out how do you create, you know, 37,000 new beds instead of trying to create 88,000 new beds. 
all in a whole bunch of states. But the interesting thing is, you know, it looks like New York State is going to be reaching its apex this week, maybe in, you know, the next couple of days. Interestingly, Florida is now projecting their hospital use moving up uh, from, from you know, April 21st instead of May 3rd. Peak daily deaths in a similar up, up a similar time period. The number that jumped out of, to me for a bunch of reasons, Virginia, obviously where I live, uh, peak hospital use is now projected at, on you know, April 20th instead of May 20th. That's like a month. You know, peak daily deaths from April 22nd to May 20th. Total deaths down from 3,100 to 1,400. Those are all really good. Almost like, okay, what's the catch kind of uh, uh, statistics there. Now, some interesting, you know, uh, numbers. New Jersey is actually looking at their peak possible use is being pushed back a week uh, until, the, until the 15th of April. Um, it's a really fascinating to see how much state by state you're seeing. It's not good news everywhere. But that having been said, um, it does indicate that we are, you know, we may be further along in this process of bending the curve than we thought they were. And that maybe, and I emphasize big red letter, you know, un- un- underline that one in red, maybe we are closer to um, the, I don't want to say the end state of this epidemic, but uh, we are closer to, to where we want to be than we were, than we thought we were just a few days ago. Absolutely right. I mean, we were just getting information from the mayor of DC last week saying it could be late June, early July for the peak around here. And so the fact that it's now back into the later stages of this month, really just a couple of weeks from now, uh, can't ask for much better than that. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of models and actual data coming in to help uh, clarify things. So the more real data you get, the better the models look and uh, the more accurate they're looking, hopefully. So uh, we should point out, and I meant to do this at the top, and that, of course, is to extend our very best wishes to British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, Sunday, he went into the hospital. Yesterday afternoon, evening, uh, he was moved over to intensive care. As far as we know, he's not on a ventilator, but he's moved over there just in case he needs one. Last we heard, he was stable. Uh, he was uh, very much uh, conscious and then able to communicate with folks. And uh, as far as we know, still able to perform some duties of the office, although he has uh, given the foreign secretary uh, deputy status to, to step in if need be. But uh, Jim, that was kind of a scary moment yesterday afternoon. So the fact that he's considered stable is, is good news. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they were saying they were moving him to the hospital was, uh, as a precaution, seemed really ominous because, you know, that seems like a very big precaution to take. The fact that he was in the ICU uh, sounds like he's, you know, still in good shape. He's not being on a ventilator or anything like that. And that is good to hear. A thought that just kind of springs into my head, Greg, as we're thinking about this is that, look, Boris Johnson is probably not in the, you know, tip top best of shape. He's been a lot of times in journalism in Britain. They're kind of known for their smoking and drinking and all that stuff. Not the thinnest guy, but chances are you'd look at this guy and you wouldn't think that he was in terrible physical shape or that he'd be particularly vulnerable to this. And yet you see where he is. This is, you know, taking him out of commission for a certain period of time. Greg, I kind of wonder if something like this had happened earlier in our presidential selection process, would we still see Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, the last guys standing in the Democratic presidential primary? Would we still be comfortable with having a president in his 70s, including the current president? Um, we are where we are. I don't think any of this stuff is changing unless any of these three men are, you know, contract the coronavirus. Um, but it's just one of those things. We came into this idea of, like, ah, you know, as a country, we're, we're comfortable. Lifespans are getting longer. These guys seem to be hale and hearty. They'll find they can handle the stresses and the physical, physiological pressures of the office. Um, I kind of wonder if that uh, that may get rethought in future cycles after an experience like this one, Greg. 
And of course, you got the, the social media trolls out there wishing him ill because they don't agree with his politics. But the one I found even more pathetic than that yesterday, Jim, was on some of these statements where people say, on behalf of all of Great Britain, sir, we wish you well, politics aside. And then, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different tweets like that. And there's a few people that would reply to each one of them going, you don't speak for me. You don't speak for me. And I'm like, man, get a life. How dare you wish someone well? <laughs> I don't agree with you. I don't know. Brexit, yeah, you know sir. You're, you're basically rooting for death. But if you want to uh, make the most of this time, or at least uh, keep your business as strong as possible during this uh, basic shutdown, fortunately, uh, a lot of work can be done remotely now like Jim and I can do our stuff uh, remotely and, and businesses can too. But the, if you want to get set up as, as best as possible for that, you really want to go with NetSuite by Oracle because what do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tacovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. And successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. If you want to take your company from 2 million to 10 million or 10 million to hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business. Finance, inventory, human resources, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control that you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. And you know what? That probably was accurate even before the S&P 500 tumbled a great deal. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It is the last system you'll ever need. NetSuite, business grows here. So schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business at netsuite.com slash martini. That's netsuite.com slash martini. netsuite.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second martini. Uh, I think this is crazy. Uh, let's go to Wisconsin. You mentioned the fact that Bernie and Biden are the last two running for the Democratic nomination. And we've talked at length about whether Bernie should still be running for the Democratic presidential nomination. But today's primary day in the state of Wisconsin. And like most states around the country, Wisconsin's essentially on a lockdown. But for weeks in advance, Nothing was ever done to uh, change the primary. The Democratic governor there, Tony Evers, uh, kind of hemmed and hawed and never really made a decision until yesterday when he said he was going to postpone it until June. The Republican legislature then balked. Evers uh, fought back against the legislature. A federal judge said, uh, we're going to expand absentee voting for uh, several more days till April 13th, which was not even anything anybody was arguing for. So then the Supreme Court got involved five to four and basically set everything back so that there is actually a primary today. And absentee ballots, at least I think, have to be postmarked by today, Jim. So people are standing in line six feet apart in a limited number of polling places in Wisconsin. So you have folks worried about some people not even have the opportunity to vote and other people obviously risking their health to do so. Kind of a mess in Wisconsin. How do we peel it all apart? Yeah, it's worth noting, Greg, uh, some of that video I saw from earlier this morning, it didn't look like five or six feet apart. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in Wisconsin right now, and if you're listening to this on your phone through, through headphones or something, step back a little bit. <laughs> Give people a little more space. Um, I, I am deeply frustrated by this turn of events, and there's a great deal of blame to go around, but there's no way of getting around the fact that 
Republicans in the state of Wisconsin have been pushing for this uh, election day to go forward. It is not just a presidential primary day, although it is. And I think you have to put a certain amount of blame at the feet of Bernie Sanders for continuing to stay in the race when it's pretty clear this thing is over. Um, you also, but it also is where several mayoral rate elections where their terms are up. And so this is the effectively the general election for the election of mayors. And this is a state Supreme Court race. And this is the one that people you know, suspect is driving the decision-making of Republicans. Look, I like Republicans. I'd like to see Republicans win elections. If, you know, no doubt a state Supreme Court seat can be really important. That having been said, holding an election while people are supposed to be sheltering at home in place, when there is a pandemic going on, is not a good idea. And I don't understand why this couldn't have been pushed back. I, I think most people would be comfortable with the idea of if you have a mayor in office and you can't postpone, you have to postpone the election under these extraordinary circumstances, keep them in office for another month or another six weeks or whatever time period. This seems like the sort of thing that responsible grownups could have and should have been able to work out um, instead of having this, you know, semi-election going on. That yeah, obviously a lot of people managed to get absentee ballots and things like that. Uh, it sounds like there were some hangups and, and headaches in the process of getting absentee ballots to people. Uh, it sounds like for obvious reasons, they couldn't open up as many polling places because they didn't have many volunteers. It's very understandable. People be reluctant to uh, stand in a public place and interact with lots of people, particularly if you're elderly. But the end result is something that is uh, the worst of both worlds. We have an election in which I think is pretty likely turnout is going to be pretty darn low. Uh, and also, also, we're still expo exposing all of those people to, to circumstances where the spread of the virus is a little more likely. Hopefully, everybody's wearing a mask. Hopefully, everybody's washing their hands, bringing the hand sanitizer, all that kind of stuff. But this feels like a really unnecessary risk was taken. And as much as, you know, um, my instinct is to blame, you know, you know, there are bad Democratic governors in this process, and the Supreme Court had to try to muddle through and sort this out. In the end, everybody should have been able to figure out a way to not hold this election today, and it is to their shame that they could not do this. So, Jim, it's not just Wisconsin primary. Wisconsin's going to be a fairly critical state uh, for those who've been paying attention the last few years. It's very critical on the Electoral College map. And so if there is a, a bump in cases, and I don't know how easily you can tie it back to standing in line on election day, but uh, you know, we just talked about how in several different places, the peak's coming here in the next couple of weeks. And so if it happens in Wisconsin and people think it uh, was somehow accelerated or, or enhanced by people standing in line, who's going to get the blame here? Uh, Evers is going to claim he tried to stop it. Republicans uh, fought that, but Evers also delayed it. I know the media is going to blame Republicans, but uh, how's that going to play out in November if it becomes an issue? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't quite understand why. Um, Evers for a long time kept insisting he didn't have the authority to do this. And then one day he decided he did. It kind of reminds me of uh, President Barack Obama and the, uh, <laughs> the dreamers, you know. Well, I can't do that. Wait a minute. Yes, I can. Look, Republicans can do their best to blame Evers. Uh, you know, you could argue that this is because Evers is the face of the, of the state government. He will inevitably take more of the blame. Um, but I think, on the other hand, the idea of somebody trying to do this for partisan gain or to protect a state Supreme Court seat, um, I, you know, it would not surprise me in the slightest to see the next election held under normal circumstances go very, very badly for Republicans in Wisconsin. Well, Voting is not the only place you don't want to be standing in line these days. You don't really want to be doing it anywhere, whether it's the store or even the post office, because we need to avoid crowds right now as best as possible. But 
What if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages, whether personal or business? Don't worry, stamps.com is here to help. How you may ask? Well, anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. Print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. See, stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you are hunkering down right now. So whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. It really is that simple. Greg, those are probably at this point the four most magic words the English language. <laughs> no human contact required. With stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off of every first class stamp and up to 40% off of U.S. Postal Service shipping rates. And now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini, all one word. That's stamps.com. Enter Three Martini. Stay safe, my friends. All right, let's move on to our final crazy martini, and that comes to us courtesy of NBC News. Jim... We still have a major media outlet taking the Chinese at their word for their healthcare data. Here's what NBC says. At the start of what is expected to be the deadliest week of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States, the White House tried to offer some hope that measures to contain the spread were working. The virus killed 1,264 over 24 hours in the U.S. as of 2.05 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, according to NBC News Tracker. A total of 10,906 have been recorded killed by COVID-19. Meanwhile, in China, where the pandemic broke out, not a single new death was reported. And the city of Wuhan in Hubei province, where the new virus was first identified, prepared for lockdown measures to be lifted. Oh, but they're not done. Health officials reported 32 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus in mainland China, all of them imported, bringing the total to 81,740. The former center of the epidemic, Wuhan, reported only two new confirmed cases in the past 14 days. And uh, Jim, it just goes on and on. CNBC even doing kind of a puff piece on China talking about how it's bolstering its soft power and taking the lead in the global response while the U.S. insulates itself more than reaching out. So uh, I don't think the Chinese government could have done a better job if they paid NBC. <laughs> Um, well, here's the problem, Greg, Greg, is if you look at the Comcast, the fact that they're, offer, that they're opening up the largest Universal Studios theme park in the entire world outside of Beijing, <laughs> perhaps they did uh, indirectly. So look, I don't begrudge news media for saying that the Chinese state government or the Chinese state media is reporting these figures. 
I blame them for not including any reference to the fact that these may not be accurate figures. And I believe it was the Washington Post that had estimated that, you know, the number of deaths in Wuhan city itself was in the neighborhood of like 40,000. I believe the official numbers from the Chinese government were something like 3,000 or something like that. You know, like they're not just off by a little bit. They're off by a lot. And we've seen the Chinese government try to kick out reporters from the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, Time Magazine, and all these other ones. Chinese government does not want Western reporters on the ground reporting on what's going on in China because there's always the chance that they will find someone who is willing to offer information that is contrary to the official line from the Chinese government. Again, I don't begrudge saying the Chinese government, I think this is one of those situations where claims, asserts, um, contends. There are a whole bunch of words you can put in there to say other than states or says, because states or says kind of communicates to your readers. There's no reason to doubt what this information is, you know, being put out there. Contends lets you know that this is an opinion, right? Lets you know that this is something that they claim to be true, but is not necessarily true. Um, there's none of this in that NBC News report. The tweet is bad. The entire article is bad. Um, and I don't like doing this because I'm sure everybody at NBC News is going to be in high dudgeon. How dare you accuse us of being on China's payroll or being somehow influenced by uh, the you know, financial interests of our parent company? That having been said, Comcast has some very, very big interests in, in the parent company. Oh, by the way, uh, Greg, back in February of this year, the Chinese Council General, the, basically their representative to the United Nations up in New York, um, visited a headquarters of a particular company in Philadelphia. By any chance, could you guess what that company is? <laughs> Comcast? Let's, let's ask Comcast what it can do for you. Uh, and that's what they, you know. And the quote from there is this rather horrifying sense about how the Chinese Council General is so pleased that Comcast is, uh, by the way, Comcast, the com and Comcast, I believe, is for communication. It's not for commie. Um, or communist for anybody who's jumping to that conclusion. Um, but basically, you know, this is typical, you know, we are so happy to work with Comcast as partners, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a head of the Universal uh, Theme Parks uh, CEO who said in an interview back in September that one of the ways you get things done in China, because not, every, not just anyone can build a giant theme park in China, uh, is that you basically you don't bring up politics. You don't bring up Hong Kong. You don't bring up Taiwan or any other issues like that. Look, Corporate America has been trying to walk this tightrope for a really long time. We saw this tension with the NBA earlier in the year and the Uyghur uh, concentration camps and things like that. What I think is now very clear is that you can't be both. You cannot be on good terms with the Chinese government and be serving the, the general public of the rest of the world uh, at both times. At some point, you, you know, it's that old Bob Dylan song. At some point, you, sooner or later, you end up serving somebody. You may know it, you may not know it, you may want to do it, you know, but everybody serves somebody. And at this point, it is very fair to ask the question of who do these news organizations that take the Chinese government's word at face value and do not inform their listeners or their viewers or their audiences any type of indication that these figures are not true, who are they serving? The, the only person who is more frustrating than this, Greg, is who? as in the World Health Organization. We, well, we are just being let down on one level after another by our leadership. I can't, I can't understand why populism is, is gaining fire, uh, is getting traction at a time like this, Greg. Exactly right. And, you know, you watch the briefings and you expect an aggressive and uh, 
to some extent, confrontational uh, press corps for our own government. And uh, when it's your party in power, it's a little more aggravating than, than when it's the opposite. You wish that they would be a little more aggressive with the, with the other party. Uh, if they were that aggressive with other governments in challenging them and questioning them and, uh, and calling them out when it's obvious that their data is flawed, uh, it would be a little easier to take when they're as tough as they are on us. But, you know, consistency is, I guess, too much to ask for sometimes. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, that NBC News article basically was quoting state media reports, meaning that I don't know if anyone at NBC News has the ability to question anyone in the Chinese government. The Chinese government doesn't hold daily press conferences. That having been said, you know, we've seen all kinds of, you know, we've seen everything from cryons indicating that Trump is not being honest about something while he's talking um, or other factors that basically say, hey, this information is not reliable. You know, Twitter puts all the, Facebook, all kinds of social media does all kinds of things to say this information is not reliable. The general big institutions of the mainstream media, like NBC News, are not doing this for statements from the Chinese government. And that is a dereliction of duty. Well, on that cheery note, at least uh, remember that the <laughs> well, models- At least it's Friday, Greg. <laughs> well, the models are looking better and uh, we'll, we'll hang our hat on that right now and uh, try, to, uh, try to let the blood pressure go down about how the media has been handling this story. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thank you to both of our wonderful sponsors today. First, NetSuite by Oracle, netsuite.com slash martini, and also our friends over at stamps.com. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a great review with five stars, please. And also don't forget, you can get us on those home devices. Just say play three martini lunch podcast. Have a great day. Join us Wednesday, please, on the three martini lunch.